Hi, everybody. Welcome to Packers Unscripted from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford, joined by my trusted colleague, Wes Hodkowitz. We're coming to you here from our studios at Lambeau Field. And, Wes, on Monday we heard the uh, from Packers' new general manager, Brian Gutekunst. We heard from him the annual pre-draft press conference, the first one for him, obviously, in his current chair. And I think if there's uh, if there's one significant takeaway that I got from that, it's that in his 20 years, couple decades, however many years uh, he's been in draft rooms in his lifetime, he has been a very keen observer yeah. of how people act, the the behavior under pressure, all of those things from Ted Thompson, John Dorsey, Reggie McKenzie, others that he's been around throughout his career. He's really paid close attention to how this works. Here's a great example of this, Mike. Um, Wes Hodkowitz walks in the door at Packers.com in 2016. My grammar, my English has gotten exponentially better <laughs> working underneath Mike Spofford. That's just the way it goes, though. Ted Thompson and had that relationship with Ron Wolf. And he did it his own way. He didn't do it like Wolf did, but the principles were there. Right. And in just commanding that room, you have to show confidence. You have to show authority because there's so many people involved there. You don't want a weak leader in those moments. You need somebody that's strong and sticks to their convictions. And that was the one thing. And, and Gutekunst didn't want to go into, like, example of player A or player B or, well, this guy was a great guy that we drafted at the last minute and we weren't sure and he turned out great. But he said with Thompson, the one thing you had every single year was just his calm, cool, and collect approach. And ultimately, I think that's what helped the Packers get to where they got. And right off the bat, he was tested. 2005, you go back, I think Andrew <laughs> Brandt tells the story. They only had one guy left at number 24 with a first-round grade. His name was Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. They didn't need a quarterback. He worked the phones for a little bit, then he took them. And I think that being the first kind of chapter written in that book set the tone for the way that Thompson did things. And now Gutekunst, again, will lead in his own way, but he's going to be guided by those principles. Yeah, Gutekunst talked about how, you know, in draft room, especially in the first round when obviously the stakes are the highest and teams are making phone calls and offering trades or you're trying to find a trade partner, things can get pretty chaotic and people can get pretty anxious. And, you know, you're weighing this offer versus that offer. Do you stand pat and do you make a pick? And the thing that he that he took, I think maybe the biggest lesson that he took from Ted Thompson is to have that steady hand because when you're the one who's the decision maker, you set the tone for the entire room. Right. And if you don't want a chaotic room, then you can't let the chaos get to you. And uh, I think you know, and and this is an interesting situation. Him being thrown into his first draft here at the 14th pick. You, know, you mentioned Ted Thompson's first one. Well, he was at 24. It's like you still have a lot of time to kind right. of wait and let things play out. Being right in the middle of the first round, it's a lot of speculation as to who might be available, who might not be. He's going through with his personnel, trusted personnel advisors, John Eric Sullivan, John Wojciechowski, and others, all the different scenarios that might pop up at 14 because it's all about it's all about being prepared and not being shocked or surprised necessarily right. by anything because then you can make that calm, cool, collected decision when it's your turn. And it's all about preparation. And he mentioned too, Gutekunst, that is, that you know he's had conversations with Ted Thompson the weeks leading up to the draft here about what to expect in the moment. He's been doing this, Brian has, for a long time. Yeah. Oh, two decades in the Packers organization. He's been around football since he was a child. But until you're in that seat, 
I think in the advice that Ted Thompson has given to every every single one of his personnel executives that have gone on to GM jobs is everything turns up, everything gets warmer because now the decision is on you. It's your name that's making the pick. You're the guy that has to go up to the podium afterwards and explain your thinking. And that's a big situation for a young GM to be in. So I think that's one of the big benefits that Gutekunst has still having Ted in the building. And obviously, as he mentioned too, wasn't able to get out to as many of the college you know, pro days as he has in the past because now he's in that new seat. Yeah. But that's where he leans on John Eric Sullivan, John Wojciechowski. All these scouts that he has around him, the Sam Seals of the world, that are, have seen most of these guys live and going to take all that information, put it on their board, and trust it. He said there's a big, big push to want to overcook things during the final week, but you have to trust that 11, 12 months you've put in to scouting this class – and making the best decision for your for the future of your franchise. Yeah, and he talked about, you know, it is about building that board so that you can trust the board. It's about all the preparation that goes into it. You know, you're grading the players. You build, you know, the needs of your team into the value of certain players and where yeah. and, and where they fit on the board. So, you know, even when teams talk about, oh, we took the best available player, well, your rankings were also based on positions that you need and things that you need to do in the draft. So it's not it's not just strictly best available player. I mean, fans, I think, sometimes get thrown off by phrases like that. But at the end of the day, it's his call. He's got to sift through all the voices in his head. It's easy for a scout to, as they say, stand up on the table and scream for somebody. Or a when coach. you're, yeah, when, when you're not the guy who, who's you know whose reputation is on the line, whose job is on the line to make that call. But he said, naturally, every scout, you know, you fall in love with certain players. Now, as the guy in the catbird seat, so to speak. He has to weigh, okay, is it worth trading up to go get that guy? What's the cost? What all are you giving up to go get that guy you really love? Or are you better off sitting back, letting the draft come to you, and then see what's there when when you're on the clock? And that's going to be the really tempting thing for Brian Gutekunst in this draft because they do have a league-high 12 picks. There are a lot of decisions, a lot of maneuvers that they can make now that you can trade those compensatory picks. I look at it, I wrote about this in Insider Inbox, I think that number 14th overall pick, you're looking for best available playmaker. People have asked edge rusher, cornerback, defensive tackle. I want the best available playmaker. And as that draft wears on, and as that pool of players probably starts to come a little bit more together, that's when you have to make those decisions. If you have a guy you really like, if you feel like you need to go up and get him, like they have occasionally you know, over the years. Yeah, well, we'll uh, talk a little bit more about how the Packers are looking at this draft in terms of the overall roster. Back with more on Packers Unscripted right after this. Welcome back to Packers Unscripted. Mike Spofford here, Wes Hodkowitz, all the way over there. Wes, okay, so how are the Packers looking at this draft in terms of the way their roster is currently constructed. If you look at things on the offensive side of the ball, the trade for Deshaun Kaiser pretty much or at least almost took quarterback out of the equation in a sense for this draft. Three running backs drafted last year on the third day. Running back definitely low priority, if not uh, you know somewhat off the radar. But everything else on the offensive side of the ball, Packers are looking for future playmakers, for depth, uh, guys to compete for starting jobs this year on the offensive line. Uh, where What is your top priority offensively for the Packers? Well, here's what's fun about this conversation, Mike. The last segment you talked about building the board. I have a difficult enough time trying to build my fantasy football board <laughs> with guys who have already been proven in the NFL 
And then, I mean, you look at Gutekunst and, the, and these scouts, and I understand this is their life's work, but trying to put all those names up on a college board with even more questions, question marks and projections, it's an inenviable task. But for me, looking strictly at the offensive side, I think it probably starts with the offensive line. That's not an indictment, Mike, of what happened last year or how they played. I think it's more a product of the fact that I think it was 10 or 11 different lineups they had to use to yeah. get through the course of the season. Right. They were very fortunate. David Bakhtiari, after shaking off that hamstring injury, Lane Taylor avoided an injury. Corey Lindsley played every offensive snap, as you wrote about on Packers.com. The left side of that line, pretty much intact. The right side's a different question. Brian yep. Balaga coming back from the torn ACL. Justin McCray played both right guard and right tackle. Could he be a potential fit? Will Jari Evans come back? And then you have Kyle Murphy and, and J- Jason Spriggs coming off of injuries that landed them on injured reserve. Right. So my biggest thing when I look at this is just bring me another body. Get me another one of those, those mid-conference tackles that you can convert to a guard or have some flexibility with. I don't know how high on the list of priorities that needs to be, if that needs to be a second-round pick, third-round pick, but I do think at some point in there you need to add one of those. And then also, just quickly, receiver. Packers have had a lot of success picking receiver in the early rounds. Might be a good year to do that as well. Yeah, it kind of looks that way. With regards to the offensive line, I'm with you. I think it's you have to bring in at least another you know, mid to upper mid-round prospect to throw into one of these competitions for right tackle yeah. and right guard. And I say right tackle because there's just no guarantee that Brian Balaga can be ready for week one when his when his torn ACL was as late in And you don't want to rush that year. either. Exactly. So you don't like, you don't wanna and I know he's come this is his second time coming back from an ACL. He's done it before. We know all that. I'm not trying to question that at all. It's it's just there there's a timeline with these things and and as you said, there's no need to rush it. So I'd like to see Another guy who then is in one of those competitions, either for right tackle or right guard. You mentioned, you know, you've got Justin McCray, Jason Spriggs, and Kyle Murphy are are tackles. McCray can play tackle or guard. Lucas Patrick is a guy who would be in the in the mix at guard as well. So you have some options there, but you really want to set this set up both of those positions really through OTAs and training camp. Is hey, let's uh, let's send some guys out there to go compete and see who emerges. When you go back, because it's you, the, the chapter's been closed now. Ted Thompson is the GM anymore 12 out of the 13 drafts he took an offensive lineman you and I have talked a lot about in the past what happened the year they did it in 2015 and how that ultimately impacted them down the stretch I just think that it's a place that you can fortify there's a talent available in this draft and the nice thing is the two positions offensively that I think you can make the case for the biggest need receiver and offensive line are arguably the two best positions the Packers have drafted over the 10 last 10 years Uh, tight end certainly figures into that as well but yep Everybody asks about that. My only response to it is, first or second round, I'll believe it when I see it. It's been 18 years now since the Packers have taken a tight end that high. Third round, not out of the realm of possibilities. They did it with Jermichael Finley and Richard Rodgers, but I look at that as something more later in the draft to potentially find a prospect and maybe receiver and offensive line a little earlier. Yeah, I see the Packers trying to fortify tight end here, certainly with with Lance Kendricks and Jimmy Graham, both being age 30-plus at this point. You have plenty of experience at the tight end position right now, but what's your future at the position? Emmanuel Bird is certainly a a prospect. The Packers are going to take another hard look at this year, but you need some more guys in the pipeline, and I, and I think you need some more guys in the pipeline at wide receiver as well. Jordy Nelson is gone. Yeah. Jeff Janis is gone. You're not too sure yet about 
Trevor Davis, Geronimo Allison, D'Angelo Yancey, all these guys are going to get Michael long Clark. looks. Michael Clark, another one, six foot six. All these guys are going to get long looks, but there's a lot of you know unproven talent there. You have Devontae Adams, you know what you've got there. You have Randall Cobb, but Randall Cobb's in the last year of his contract, so you need to re you need to restock things and 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 rebuild that competition for the future and see where those positions go. And one last comment about tight end, just to touch on this briefly. Other than quarterback, I think it's the position that takes the long longest time to develop which is why I think drafting one would be smart this year because you have Graham you have Kendricks two proven veterans add a young body behind them to kind of watch and learn right and when you have when you're going into a draft with 12 picks that gives you the opportunity to address a lot of areas that next year you may not have as many picks in your back pocket so with that we'll go to a break and talk about defense after this back with more on Packers Unscripted Welcome back to Packers Unscripted. Mike Spofford in this chair, Wes Hodkiewicz and that one. Okay, Wes, shifting gears to the defensive side of the ball. New defensive coordinator in Mike Pettin bringing in his system. We talked on our last show about the additions of Muhammad Wilkerson. You've brought in uh, Termon Williams or brought back Termon Williams, I should say, at cornerback. You're looking for a guy like Kevin King, whose rookie season was uh, got messed up a little bit because of that shoulder injury. He was your top pick a year ago. But uh, Packers need to uh, need to look to the future at cornerback, and they also need to look to the future at pass rusher, and I'm talking specifically edge rusher, because uh, Clay Matthews drafted in 09, Nick Perry drafted in 2012. Both of those guys, uh, you know, they've they've put in their time, and they will be the bread and butter this year, but they won't be here forever. No, they won't be, Mike. And, and here's the thing is that although Dayton Jones ultimately ended up moving to outside linebacker and Mike Neal did that as well, it's been a long time since the Packers have drafted a natural outside pass rusher. I think this is a year to do it. The question is, it's it really is the chicken or the egg here. Which one do you emphasize first? And as right. Gutekunz astutely pointed out, he's seen great defenses that have phenomenal pass rush and okay secondaries do okay. He's seen shut down lights out secondaries and okay pass rushes, and that defense turned out fine. There isn't one single blueprint. It's finding that equilibrium. That's where the Packers are challenged. Last year, they didn't get enough of it on either side. The pass rush wasn't consistent enough. The, the, obviously, we know the issues with the communication in the secondary right. and the litany of injuries and inconsistency on the back end. Big opportunity this year. I still really like the pick of Kevin King. Six foot three, 200 pounds. If he can come back from that shoulder, I think is he is a prototype boundary press man corner. Should yep. fit the scheme well. He also runs well enough that he can go down the sideline. Who does that remind you of? Sam Shields. <laughs> Not quite that level of speed, but probably a little bit more technique at this age. Yeah. Pass rusher, another big question, because you do have Perry and Matthews. Who do you have behind them? They have four or five guys who all spent time on the 53-man roster last year, but who's going to be the one to grab that opportunity? I think the best way to get those guys motivated, not that they already aren't, is to bring in another guy in those early rounds, a guy that you can add to that rotation, because when this defense was at its best in 2014, in recent memory, it's when they had the deepest rotation. This is an opportunity to make that happen. Yeah, it's about getting that pass rush and the pass coverage to play in sync, no matter which one is maybe the strength over the other, and that's what uh, we have to see if if Mike Pettin and the new scheme and everything is going to be able to accomplish that. When you look at this draft specifically, 
the word is, and I'm no draft expert. I'm you just are. reading I'm reading the stuff you out are. there. Yeah. <laughs> I'm reading the stuff out there that everybody else is. The word is this is not a deep draft in terms of edge rushers, but it is much deeper at cornerback. Yeah. So then it just it makes you wonder, okay, so the Packers are sitting there at fourteen in the first round if they decide to stand pad and not move around. If there's an edge rusher you really like at 14 and a cornerback you really like at 14, it almost seems like you have to go edge rusher because you can you'll be able to get some quality cornerbacks later on and those edge rushers might not be there. That's just the way it kind of looks from the outside right now. Michael, I'm going to give you a little history lesson here. It's never a good year for edge rusher. <laughs> there's always a dearth of really good pass rushers yeah. in the NFL. Go back to any draft, 2000 to back to 2003. Most of your top Pro Bowl-type difference makers were taken in the first round and usually high in the first round. Yeah. Now, the question for the Packers is, who's going to be available there? Does a Tremaine Edmonds get to them at 14? I don't think Bradley Chubb is going to be there. No. I know a lot of Packer fans are hopeful. I think you got to let that one go until we see differently. Marcus Davenport has gotten a lot of intrigue, and yep. I personally – wasn't sold on him. I end up talking to some people who really do know what they're talking about. They think he can be a player in this league, but it's basically having to wait for him to develop. Yep. I would be tempted if I'm the Packers. This is just Wes Hotkowitz, sitting in Packers unscripted, not on the third floor. But I just think when you look at those three defensive backs high in this draft, Denzel Ward, Minka Fitzpatrick, and also Derwin James, if any of those are within grasp, or if any of them can be taken... Those are three potential difference makers for one reason or another. They really need a star slot cornerback. I think those guys could potentially fit the bill. It's a great place for the Packers to be in at 14, but a lot of questions too. Yeah, and it's tough because when you talk about the edge rushers and how it's never a great year for edge rushers, well, that's because – in college, if you're 250 pounds, you can play defensive end. Yes. You know, in the NFL, you have to convert to outside linebacker if you're that size. And in college, if you're 290, you were probably playing inside. You weren't necessarily yep. playing on the edge. The Bradley Chubbs of the world, there's a reason everybody's saying he's a top five, six, top seven pick because guys like that don't come along every year. Yep. And same reason what happened last year with the Browns when they're making the decision that they did made at number one. You just don't yep. have those type of body types and the guys that are that explosive. They just don't exist that much, and Gutekunst talked about it. Yeah, all right. Well, with that, we're going to go to another break. Back with more on Packers Unscripted right after this. back to Packers Unscripted. Mike Spofford alongside Wes Hodquitz. Okay, Wes, before we go today, a lot of talk about how the quarterbacks are going to dictate how the first round of this NFL draft goes. And there's a, uh, a former Packers personnel executive by the name of John Dorsey sitting in the catbird seat in Cleveland with the first and fourth picks in this first round. He needs a quarterback. Which one is he going to go with? That's like the million-dollar yeah. question right now. Yeah, and it's funny because as information leaks out, Brian Gutekunst talked about this during his news conference on Monday. There's some stuff that is legit, and there's some stuff that is just smoke and mirrors. Gutekunst said the Packers will do the same thing, yeah. trying to throw people off. What I really appreciate about this is the fact that over the course of the last three months, I think all of the top four quarterbacks, maybe with the exception of Josh Rosen, 
has actually been attached to the Browns. Yeah, that the Brown one. the Browns are taking Josh Allen. No, wait, they're nope. taking Baker Mayfield. You know, no, they're going to go with Sam Darnold. And I had heard Sam Darnold early in the process right. was the guy, but. Right. Now who's it going to be? <laughs> the thing that's interesting from the Packers' perspective is they don't have to worry about that sweepstakes. But it is going to be interesting, Mike, because we're going to find out on Thursday night how much of that is legitimate, who really wanted a quarterback, and where these guys are valued. There was talks, I remember back in, what was it, 2013, of Geno Smith being a potential top 10 guy, falls the second round. But whatever happens is going to have a big impact on the Packers because it, the more quarterbacks that go, the more value their pick has and the more prime prospects, elite players could be available for them. And that's going to be probably the most interesting domino to watch fall. Yeah, and this is one of the more unpredictable things because there is talk that maybe four quarterbacks are going to go in the top 10 or top 12. Maybe even a fifth one, Lamar Jackson from Louisville, yeah. like slips Who I into really there, like. which then pushes more defensive players down. But then the flip side of it, not that long ago, a guy like Teddy Bridgewater was being talked about as a top 10, top 15 pick. Suddenly he's there at the bottom yes. of the first round. Minnesota trades back up and nabs him at the end of the first round because he's still there when everybody thought he'd be gone at least by number 20. So it's as unpredictable as it gets, but it's a quarterback-driven league, which makes it a quarterback-driven draft. Unbelievable. Great point, Mike. And it is interesting because quarterback is the only position where you really see this happen because Sometimes you really do. We talk about best available players. Sometimes it is just having to get a little bit more, invest a little bit more, draft a guy a little bit earlier because of the nature of the position. Yeah. You don't see that happen a lot of times at other spots. No, you, it's, 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 what, uh, it's what drives teams. If you don't have that guy, you are yeah. always searching for that guy. And the longer you don't have him, the longer it's going to take for you to become a contender. That's just reality. And the sooner you're going to be out of a job if you're a GM in this <laughs> league, too. You've got to be able to find the man. And you look back in the years, sometimes you find you know, Russell Wilson in the third round, but oftentimes it's in the top ten. Yeah, no question. With that, we will call it a wrap on this edition of Packers Unscripted. Be sure to follow all of our coverage of the team on Packers.com. On Twitter, he's at Wes Hot. I'm at Mike Spofford, at Packers for the team account. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll see you next time.